So I need to thank Bob Baird, first of all, for the introduction. I always hate it when I have to follow Bob. <laughs> because even if he does mulberry bush, it sounds bigger than it is. So Bob, thank you. And I want to thank you, Guillerme, for filling in for us today on the piano. You're a theater man, right? You bring whatever that is to the piano and to the organ. Um, now, where do you suppose Sheena is today? Anybody know? She's in Dallas, or she was last night, for a, are you ready for this? An Iron Maiden concert. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, that's some heavy metal. And when she said it to me, I said, Sheena? And she gave me that little sheepish grin. Like, yeah, I'm that too. <laughs> so she who gives us great music over here and here, she's at, with Iron Maiden last night at least. Okay. Well, my dear family, I came to you <clears throat> when I was 50. And next month, I will be 80. And the only good news about that is that Vern Sauter turns 89 days before me. <laughs> we, have this, we have this thing that uh, we joke about it. And I say to myself, what? How did that happen? And so I called my son, the veterinarian down in Round Rock, who is, uh, we used to call him Mr. Minimum because he says just short things. And he used to listen to me preach and say, Dad, I could have said that in two minutes. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but anyway, he said, oh, it's simple, Dad, how you got to be 80, one day at a time. I was looking for more comfort or something. <laughs> that was it, one day at a time, and he hung up the phone. <laughs> so I want to begin today with a question. Isn't it interesting that life never, never seems to happen exactly as we planned or we thought it might turn out. Maybe frustrating or maddening are better words more than interesting. Either way, life never seems to happen exactly as we planned it or thought it might turn out. I just knew that I was going to be a firefighter. My father was a fireman. That's the word they used back in the 40s. But I knew I, well, my father was a fireman. And that's all I knew about what people do when they grow up. And so that was in my plan. And then I just knew I was going to be a famous singer, singing with a group like the Four Freshmen, Please tell me that some of you know who the four freshmen are. <laughs> Anybody? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> when I wrote that, I thought, dang, nobody's going to know the four freshmen. <laughs> and then I just knew that I was going to be a detective because I like to find things and I like to uh, solve mysteries. And then I knew I was going to be a lawyer like another old name, Perry Mason. Anybody remember that guy? <laughs> P 
Perry Mason on television. But alas, I am a minister. I was ordained November the 10th, 1963 at the Olivet Baptist Church in downtown Honolulu. I just knew that I was going to be a famous preacher. Of course, I now know that you cannot be a famous preacher if you don't have a lot of hair. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> don't make fun. Uh, I just knew that I'd be the minister of what we in the business calls a BSC, a big steeple church. But alas, I started out as an associate minister of a big steeple church with 5,000 members, and since then I've gone to pastor four other churches with increasingly smaller steeples and memberships. 5,000 at Wilshire, 1,200 in San Antonio. I don't know how many members Lakeshore has, maybe 400 when I was here, I have no idea. And then 125 in the Unitarian Church that I passed in my last season of this business um, had an even smaller membership, maybe 50, and guess what? They didn't even have a steeple. <laughs> so my friend, minister friends used to tease me and say, Stone, don't you know that ministers always go to bigger steeples? And they have more members, and there's bigger budgets. You're the only minister we know that's gone backwards. Oh well. But you know what? I am theologically happier than I have ever been. At, at, I'm free. And I'm more comfortable in my skin than I've ever been. And so I repeat, isn't it interesting that life never seems to happen exactly as we planned it or thought it might turn out, maybe frustrating or maddening are better words than interesting. Either way, life never seems to happen exactly as we planned it or thought it might turn out. Well, I almost call the sermon Limping Through Life. That's the title of an article by a minister in Bethesda, Maryland. He talks about being a guy who has run all of his life. And I mean run, as in 12 to 14 miles a day. But now he says at age 55, his knees are given out. In spite of everything he has planned and his vision of running forever, he must now quite literally limp through life. Some of you will remember that Carlos Sanchez was uh, on the editorial board for the Waco Tribune Herald back when. Um, and he wrote about a guy named Keith Huddleston, um, some really nice guy whom everybody seems to like. Keith also loves motorcycles. So you know where that's going, right? The title of Sanchez's piece is When Life Hits a Nasty Curve. The title of San uh, When Life Hits a Nasty Curve. You got it. When he hit one of the supporting cables at some curved barrier, he severed his leg just below the calf. So there you go again, limping through life. And how would you like to be a 35-year-old, a husband, 
a father of two children, little children, a promising writer, and a professor of English, and be told that you have Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, and maybe seven years to live. That's what happened to Philip Simmons, who has written a wonderful book I, I encourage you to read, entitled Learning to Fall, The Blessings of an Imperfect Life. Fact is that ALS ended his life in 2002, two years after his book was published. With ALS, your body just goes away, quite literally, from the feet up. Eventually, all you have left might be your eyes, might be, that will blink and ultimately you cannot even swallow anymore. I helped a woman with ALS walk through her dying at the end. And all she had left were her eyes that blinked and one foot that moved to use her toe to point to a spelling board that the family had very creatively made for her. And I think I've got it bad because I have a touch of arthritis and maybe a little C. I don't say the word because it empowers it. So, Philip Simmons must literally learn to fall. What a great title. He says, when we learn to fall, we learn to accept the vulnerability that is our human endowment, the cost of walking upright on the earth. And a little aside, I notice that every time I go to the hospital now, a sign on my wrist, a sign on the wall says, fall risk. I exercise every day. I run on the treadmill. Don't tell me I'm a fall risk. Oh, yes, you are. At your age, you are. <laughs> so, Philip Simmons says, after sticking it out as long as I could, I finally had to give up my college teaching career in the Midwest and return for good to this one blinking light town in New Hampshire's White Mountains, the place of my boyhood summers, where my parents now live full time and which is some, some unnameable inner sense I have never really left. My returning home in this way is not the end of my journey, not yet, but a sudden detour, a surprise, certainly. In some ways, I'm astonished at my good fortune. Who could have expected, after all, that in my early 40s, I would be living a sort of gentleman's retirement out in the country? with time to read philosophy, raise chickens, and supervise my children's piano practice. Each morning I watch the sun rise a little later and a little farther south, yet filling my house with light. Hoarfrost glitters in the fields. My wife makes coffee, my children make their beds. Who could complain? And yet these are hardly the terms under which I had hoped to receive such a bounty. I'm in a chair with wheels. I no longer can raise my arms in joy. But who among us, he says, gets to dictate the terms of his or her good fortune? You can't live for very long on this earth without confronting a fundamental truth. We are not in charge here. We are not in charge here, at least not entirely. 
Our greatest blessings, along with our greatest burdens, seem to fall upon us unbidden. For all our planning, for all our talk of goals and our strategy and vision and commitment, we learn that many of our lives' most important events cannot be predicted or controlled. All the plans we are in the business of making are continually being upset by both disaster and delight. How many of us could have predicted when we first set out from our parents' homes for college um, or for work or for marriage, either our achievements or our disappointments? For how many of us has life turned out to be exactly what we had in mind? Life, not as we planned it. Life with all the good that is in it, let us never forget that. With all the good that is in it, um, is marked by two inevitables, loss and limitation. Scott Alexander knows that, Keith Huddleston knows it, Philip Simmons knows it, you know it, and I know it. I swear I never planned on being an alcoholic. But for whatever reason, I am, and I must live my life allergic to alcohol and do all the things it takes to stay sober and serene. My sponsor is here today. I never planned to be depressed it just happened. All of a sudden, nothing was funny anymore. And all the pleasure was gone out. And I was in the hospital, not once but twice. Not the way I planned it. I never knew I'd spend my later years chronically afraid of getting weak in the knees and feeling jittery and having a panic attack. And taking antidepressants every day of my life and living with a dread that the darkness will come again. My psychiatrist said I was born like that. Doesn't matter when. I want you to know that I take that Wellbutrin and it is the body of Christ for me. Do you understand that? That's not sacrilegious, is it, Bob? Thank you. <laughs> All of that was never in my plan. Fact is that life with all of its beauty and goodness is flawed and difficult no matter how you slice it, it's the way it is. Scott Alexander says in terms of our human needs, wants, expectations, and dreams, life is an eternally flawed and difficult gift. No matter how lucky or blessed we are, we end up limping in this life. We fall down, we face all kinds of loss, sorrow, and limitations including, in the end, our own death. And about all we can do is to accept it. As such, it is fruitless to fight it or to pretend it doesn't exist. Oh, I learned this, this lesson one time, and I learned it the hard way from the rabbi's wife. I was sitting next to her in San Antonio and we were eating a Seder meal. The ritual we were doing was to take a piece of unleavened bread and to place a sweet mixture on it. 
apples and raisins and yeah, oh man, it looked good. So, uh, and also some horseradish. So, I didn't think anybody was watching. I took a huge, huge amount of the sweet stuff and I plopped it on that bread and kind of held it so nobody could see, I thought. And I took the wee tad of horseradish, put a little, little bit on top. And I felt good about myself. And so the rabbi's wife was watching the whole time. And she leaned over to me, and I'll never forget, and she asked, life really isn't like that, is it, Nathan? Oops, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> hmm. And I wanted to say maybe so, but that's the way I want it to be. Thank you very much. <laughs> that being the case, that is that life has more than its share of horseradish or horse something. <laughs> that's why I like Lakeshore. You get that. <laughs> Most other churches would just smile and be whatever. Um, life has more than its share of horseradish. We end up limping through life and rarely, it rarely goes as we had planned it. In the midst of that, we must realize that our greatest human resource is a limber and malleable spirit. I think that's a fancy way of saying you gotta go with the flow. You gotta ride easy in the saddle, and you gotta be stoical. Now when people think of stoical, they usually think of someone with a stiff upper lip. I checked it with Bob Baird, the ultimate authority throughout the universe, uh, and he said this was right. No respectable stoic would accept that definition of a stiff upper lip. Stoicism was originally a school of philosophical thought in Greece, ancient Greece. The basic notion of Stoicism is that we human beings must follow and accept the laws of nature. Stoicism calls us to keep moving with life, to not refuse or resent it, even when fate and circumstance are not to our liking. If you and I are to successfully wend our way, spiritually and emotionally, through this curious and difficult journey called life, we must learn along the way to strike a truce with life, to truly accept it as it naturally unfolds for us in all of its jumble and tragedy and blessing and limitation and freedom. The Stoic knows that we human beings just can't accept welcome and embrace life when it is gentle and kind and fair to us. We must also accept welcome and embrace life, move with life when it brings us loss, limitation, and sorrow. What the ancient Stoics knew was the truth that life in its mysterious flow is not here to devote itself to our ease and happiness. Life is here simply to be what it is, to be what it was meant to be, naturally, chaotically, randomly. 
We can't ask life to be something else, something more perfectly to our liking. It is we who must change, not life. Think of life as a cross-country journey. And as we go, the weather keeps changing. Well, we can curse the weather or even sit and pout about it. Or we can roll, we can curse, or we can roll up the windows and when it rains, turn on the heat when it gets cold. Or we can get in a ditch when a tornado is coming. That is called plan B. In the stone house there is a hang, a wall hanging, um, right above our breakfast table, you can't miss it. Well, it's really not the breakfast table anymore, it's the cat's table, that's where they eat. <laughs> Nonetheless, I'm just telling you that when you come to my house, you will see the sign up there that says, life is all about how you handle plan B. It is we who must change, not life. A piece of refrigerator art in our house says, I was thinking, Pat, we've got a lot of sayings in our house. Says we cannot dictate the winds of life, but we can adjust the sails. And we have this other one, which is really not that relevant, but I like it. It says we don't stop laughing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop laughing. Henry Ward Beecher, the 19th century Presbyterian minister said, God asks no one whether they will accept life. That is not the choice. You must take it. The only choice is how. Philip, Sis Philip Simmons has a wonderful stoicism about him. He says, lately I've come to feel quite strongly that getting through life successfully begins with acceptance. Not resignation or passivity, but a profound and thorough acceptance of our place in the order of things. Not only must we accept our own deaths as a necessary part of that order, but we must come to see that it is our very mortality that calls us to act according to our highest nature. It is in our acceptance of all of that, all that we are, including and especially that we are creatures that will one day die, that we are called to our highest human duties. So, life has not gone as you planned. So life is not fair. So life has given you lemons. Your highest spiritual exercise will be to learn how to embrace it, go with the flow, and let your heart be flexible and open to whatever it takes to adapt to this plan you never made. And finally, because none of us really knows where we're going, or where or how life will get us there. We have to keep on dreaming and holding on to some kind of vision. One of the ways to keep your dream alive is to literally keep writing and rewriting your story. Write it and rewrite it. And then live into that story. I really believe that is something that's important for all of us. Do not let life or other people write your story for you and define who you are. You do it and you live into it best you know how. Of course life is not gonna go as you planned and I planned, that is the nature of the beast. We are all going to stumble and fall, 
This is how Philip Simmons instructs us to fall. And I close with this. He writes his instructions from a wheelchair near the end of his life. He says, we are all, all of us, falling. We are all now, this moment, in the midst of that descent, fallen from heights that now seem only a dim, remembered dream, falling toward a depth we can only imagine glimpsed beneath the water's surface shimmering. And so let us pray that if we are falling, dear God, let us fall with grace, to grace. If we are falling toward pain and weakness, let us also fall toward sweetness and strength. If we are falling toward death, let us also fall toward life. Fall toward life, my good family. Fall toward life. Shalom, aloha, namaste, and amen. Oh, and I love you all. Um, so, our hymn of response, or whatever we call it nowadays, hold on. <laughs> hymn of love, I'm sorry. Um, Charlene and I talked about Let us stand together.